Thank you for standing by, and welcome to Upwork's first quarter 2023 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentations, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question at that time, please press star 11 on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference to your host, Mr. Evan Barbosa, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Welcome to Upwork's discussion of its first quarter 2023 financial results. Joining me today are Hayden Brown, Upwork's President and Chief Executive Officer, and Erica Gessert, Upwork's Chief Financial Officer. Following management's prepared remarks, we will be happy to take your questions. But first, I'll review the Safe Harbor Statement. During this call, we may make statements related to our business that are forward-looking statements under federal securities laws. Forward-looking statements include all statements other than statements of historical fact. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, but rather are subject to a variety of risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Our actual results could differ materially from the expectations reflected in any forward-looking statements. For a discussion of our material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to our SEC filings available on the SEC website and on our Investor Relations website as well as the risks and other important factors discussed in today's shareholder letter. Additional information will also be set forth in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the three months ended March 31, 2023, when filed. In addition, reference will be made to certain non-GAAP financial measures. Information regarding a reconciliation of non-GAAP to GAAP measures can be found in the shareholder letter that was issued this afternoon on our Investor Relations website at investors.upwork.com. As always, unless otherwise noted, reported figures are rounded, and comparisons to the first quarter of 2023 are to the first quarter of 2022. All financial measures are GAAP, unless cited as non-GAAP. Now I'll turn the call over to Hayden. Thanks, Evan, and thank you all for joining us today for our first quarter 2023 earnings call. Before we dive into our results, I would like to take a moment to introduce all of you to our new CFO, Erica Gessert. She started her new role last week, and I'm thrilled to welcome Erica to Upwork. Erica joins us from PayPal, where she previously served as Chief Transformation Officer, and before that, SVP of Finance and Analytics. She has had an extensive track record of driving operational and financial excellence, and is a tremendous addition to our team. Thank you, Hayden, and hello, everyone. Let me start by saying I am delighted to join Upwork at such an important time in the company's history. I'm inspired by Upwork's mission and vision, and I'm deeply compelled by the tremendous growth potential ahead of us. My first week has been busy and energizing. There's clearly a lot going on in the business, and we're not immune to the macroeconomic environment affecting so many companies right now. At just a week in, I've been very impressed by Hayden and the team here and their commitment to making the difficult but responsible decisions for the business in this environment. I've spent a lot of time over the past week diving into the details of our business and engaging with the organization on key growth and profitability initiatives. There's a lot of important work ahead of us, but the long-term opportunity is significant and Upwork is well-positioned and committed to delivering sustainable and profitable growth. I look forward to partnering with Hayden and the rest of the leadership team, as well as continuing our transparent relationship with our investors, analysts, and other key stakeholders. Now I'll hand it back over to Hayden. 
Thanks, Erica. I'm looking forward to partnering with you as we continue to innovate, evangelize, and scale our work marketplace. We spent the first quarter of 2023 moving swiftly to adapt to new realities as we saw the economy further impact our customers and our business. We delivered a better than expected first quarter with GSV exceeding a billion dollars for the fifth straight quarter and first quarter revenue growth of 14% year over year to 160.9 million. We had adjusted EBITDA of negative 2.9 million in the first quarter. We also surpassed an exciting milestone in the first quarter, $20 billion in lifetime freelancer earnings on Upwork, which doubled from $10 billion in only three years. This milestone is a testament to the incredibly diverse, high-value work happening on our platform every day, as well as the abundance of highly skilled talent with which hundreds of thousands of clients build long-term trusted relationships on Upwork. We're building this business to achieve the next milestone of $40 billion in freelancer earnings and beyond. At the same time, we saw some unanticipated deterioration in certain client metrics due to macroeconomic uncertainty, which was most pronounced with our enterprise customers and large businesses in the self-service marketplace. This caused us to lower our top-line revenue growth expectations and proactively take cost reduction measures to increase our profitability outlook for the remainder of the year and significantly accelerate our progress towards long-term profitability. The opportunity ahead of Upwork continues to be significant and we're moving aggressively and intentionally to advance both our profitability and growth goals via a three-part framework. First, running a lean and efficient organization. We remain unwavering in our commitment to building an efficient, profitable business. Steps we have taken to streamline our operations include a workforce reduction, a pause on our second half brand media investments, considerable revisions to our hiring plans, and a reduction of vendor-related expenses. We reduced our workforce by 137 roles, or approximately 15% of full-time employees, and have also reduced positions of independent team members. We're also pausing our brand media investment indefinitely and reducing our brand working media spend by more than $22 million in the second half of 2023, representing a reduction of 94% versus the prior plan for the second half of 2023. Our team has done a phenomenal job increasing our unaided brand awareness, and our brand campaign is resonating with customers. However, in the current macroeconomic environment, we do not have enough visibility into exactly when we will see brand awareness translate into client conversion to continue prioritizing the investment at this time. In total, the measures announced today are expected to drive over $80 million of annualized net cost savings and deliver approximately $40 million of net cost savings in 2023. Our second quarter 2023 adjusted EBITDA guidance of zero to $2 million, representing a 0% to 1% adjusted EBITDA margin, includes approximately $4 million of non-recurring severance-related costs. Excluding these non-recurring severance-related costs, our second quarter 2023 adjusted EBITDA margin would have expected to be 3% to 4%. These actions put us on a course to deliver fourth quarter 2023 adjusted EBITDA margin of approximately 15% while remaining consistent with our ongoing commitment to drive durable growth 
and invest for strong returns. Our cost discipline, agility, and focus on cost optionality in our operations will continue under Erica Gessert, who we are thrilled to announce as our new CFO during the first quarter. We will share more about our long-term outlook and targets over the next several quarters as Erica settles into the role. We were also pleased to announce Nitha Salau as our new Chief People Officer shortly after quarter end and look forward to her leadership of our people team. Second, optimizing our growth portfolio. Growth continues to be a major priority and we are focused on two main areas right now. Over the last few years, we bolstered our product lineup considerably with key enhancements and expansions, including integral improvements to our enterprise suite, the addition of new products like project catalog consultations, and our recently announced end-to-end -end solution to support full-time hiring. As the category leader in our space, we know that our opportunity to offer customers a singular destination capable of serving the full breadth of their hiring and work needs is critical for client spend, lifetime value, and retention. Now that we have such a robust product lineup, we are in a strong position to drive the adoption of our product portfolio and deliver even more delightful experiences to customers. This means we are going deeper rather than broader with our R&D, narrowing the scope and focus of the projects on which our team will work. Another major focus area for us continues to be generative AI. We are establishing Upwork as the preeminent option for finding and hiring specialized skilled talent for the full range of generative AI related work. We have identified and are pursuing multiple dimensions of this opportunity for talent, clients, and our own teams through our own product development, unique research, and partnerships. Both supply and demand for work and talent related to generative AI tools and technology implementations continue to climb. The average weekly number of search queries related to generative AI in the first quarter increased over 1,000% compared to the fourth quarter of 2022, and the average number of weekly job posts related to generative AI increased more than 600% over the same time period. To serve this explosive demand, we have continued updating our talent marketplace to reflect exciting new skills and roles like prompt engineers, and added new project catalog categories of work, bringing the total number of categories on Upwork to over 125. Our own development team have also been innovating and testing new interfaces and experiences made possible for our customers by generative AI technology and large language models. We're testing generative AI powered solutions for transforming core customer experiences like getting started, posting jobs, receiving support, and having questions answered. We are working around the clock to bring the benefits of these new technologies to talent on Upwork in every category we serve. Generative AI's emergence into the mainstream has us excited. We know that it is going to be a force multiplying tool for talent and a cost-saving advantage for clients. And we are committed to fully exploring and harnessing its power and efficiency. And third, tuning our sales approach to where we win in this macro environment. In the fourth quarter of 2022, trends in enterprise suggested we could achieve our quarter over quarter growth goals, inland productivity, and expand client spend for 2023. These indicators included expected strength or stability in key metrics like sales cycle length, new deal close rates, client retention, and spend levels from some of our largest customers. Those expectations did not materialize, 
and headwinds in these metrics in the first quarter and early in the second quarter shifted our expectations. So we've acted accordingly in announcing personnel changes today that put our sales team back on sound economic footing. As part of today's changes, Eric Gilpin, our chief sales officer and current GM enterprise will be stepping down. He has contributed so much building our business and team to this point and is leaving a strong legacy. He will stay on in an advisory role through the end of the second quarter. We also spent time in the first quarter analyzing our data and testing to identify key insights about where our product and our sales reps are performing best. We're using those insights to refine our sales strategy, focus on the most productive areas of opportunity in this environment, and drive stronger results with the leaner team we will have, bringing our productivity back in line with our ROI targets. To support our objectives, as underscored in the three-part framework, we continue to focus on capital structure and allocation. In the first quarter, we repurchased at a discount over $200 million in principal amount of our outstanding convertible senior notes. Despite some of the short-term turbulence we face, we continue to operate the business in a nimble and proactive manner, given our confidence that our massive long-term opportunities continue to be intact. As our financial results demonstrate, we continue to grow, albeit at a more moderate rate. Our established strategy and investments are sound, and we will continue to be prudent and disciplined with our spend in the here and now, taking actions aimed at delivering profitability as we progressively unlock durable growth and position the business to capitalize on recovery in the macroeconomic environment. Throughout 2023, we're focused on the things we can control innovating, evangelizing, and scaling a work marketplace that delivers cost-effective, unparalleled workforce solutions, and an exceptionally deep and diverse pool of skilled global talent to meet our customers' work needs. Thank you. We'll now open the call to your questions. Thank you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1-1 on your telephone. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1-1. We do ask that you please limit yourself to one question and a follow-up, and then please feel free to rejoin the queue. Thank you. One moment for our first question. Our first question comes from the line of Eric Sheridan of Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Thank you so much for taking the questions. Maybe two if I could. First, in, in terms of the larger clients where you're still seeing very good growth, could you, could you contrast the behavior of some of your larger clients and the growth you're seeing there versus some of the smaller, medium-sized clients and why we might be seeing more of a macroeconomic impact there versus the larger clients would be one? And then on the back of the efficiency program, how should we think philosophically about allowing elements of that increased profitability to drop and stay at the bottom line in terms of margin versus eventually possibly redeploying and reinvesting it behind your growth initiatives over the medium to long term. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric. Your first question around um, the spend trends that we've seen in the last um, couple months emerging, um, you know, we still feel really excited about the enterprise opportunity for this business. It's clear that this is um, evident, you know, uh, unlocked for us over time with our TAM. But in this macro environment, we've definitely seen some of our larger customers really feeling under um, uh, budgetary pressure. And the way that's translated through is, you know, some of them are just um, maintaining the existing budgets that they've had with us instead of expanding that spend as they might have in a normal macro environment. Um, and that's really clear on the enterprise side of our offering. 
Others are, you know, going through budget cuts themselves or layoffs and things like that, and those customers might be uh, reducing the size of their spend with us, whereas, again, in an ordinary environment, they would be maintaining or expanding their spend. So that has been showing through in um, our enterprise business um, and has been contributed to more than half of the reduction in our guidance outlook um, for this year. On the marketplace side of the business, where we talked about you know, our smaller customers, they've been incredibly resilient. And while we do see some um, smaller average spend per client than what we would probably normally see outside of this macro, um, that business is trending really well and has contributed much less to our takedown um, in the guidance outlook. To your second question around philosophically um, thinking about um, margin in the bottom line, you know, we've always been very committed to driving profitable growth in this business. That has not changed, but in this environment, which has changed, you know, we're really demonstrating that we can drive that profitable growth and have um, reordered some of our priorities so that we are investing again right now in the places where we see a good line of returns and are excited about things like R&D and where that can take us um, and are right-sizing our sales effort based on what we see in the environment. So exiting this year with Q4 at 15%, um, approximate EBITDA margin, I think, is a good indicator of you know where we think we can take this business. Um, but I think it's early to say what we would do in 2024 or beyond. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Brent Thiel of Jeffries. Your line is open. Hello, this is uh, John Bion for Brent Thiel. Uh, thank you. Um, I want to get maybe a little bit more color on the macro side, you know, what you were seeing different maybe by industry or by geography. I mean, you mentioned tech was weak, but just wondering about some of the other industries. Uh, and then maybe as a follow-up, uh, if you could talk about, you know, how April trends were uh, different in any way versus what you saw in Q1, that would be great. Thank you. Hi, John. Uh, in terms of industry and geotrends, we did see um, – Towards the end of Q1, I'd say, you know, more of a show through in terms of um, tech, you know, from an industry sector, you know, we've seen the layoffs, we've seen the impact of the tech industry at large, and I think that goes through with some of our customers more prominently than what we've seen earlier in Q1 or even in 2022. So that was a bit more evident, although we still see tech companies as some of our strongest vendors and, you know, great adopters of Upwork. So by no means has that opportunity gone away, but I think you know they are feeling the pain of this environment, and that was more evident um, with our larger customers, you know, this quarter than in the past. Um, and we have factored that into our outlook. Um, at the same time, you know, we did see a lot of positive activity in terms of technical categories on our site, with huge growth in um, job posts and demand for Gen AI. And so I think again, we, we served um, tech buyers across the landscape, regardless of the industry of those client companies. And that's something that we saw with the increase in 10X of searches for um, talent in those categories and a 600% quarter quarter increase in job posts for that type of talent. So we continue to serve you know, both talent, um, technical talent and um, technical customers in a variety of ways, which I think um, is going to be very enduring. From a geo perspective, I think the trend that we started to see in Q3 of last year, where um, kind of late Q2, Q3, where um, the European um, customer base on the client side has felt, I think, more of an economic slowdown than customers in the U.S. has continued to be true. 
So our clients in the U.S. Um, have continued to be a bit stronger than um, uh, European-based clients, but I wouldn't say that there was a no new noticeable separation more recently um, than currently. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Nat Schindler of Bank of America. Your line is open. Yes. Hi, Hayden. Thank you. Um, the CEO of IBM recently said that they could see 30% of back office jobs replaced by AI in the next five years. Obviously, we've heard all kinds of predictions like this before and from other people, but it was an interesting one that just came out, and a lot of people are thinking about AI disruption in the market in the last two days. Um, on the one side, you can help companies find AI contract work, but on the other side, you have a lot of contractors who do what would be often called back office work or short-term labor that would be in that category. What do you think happens to the entire staffing industries, um, online and offline competitors, as this evolves? Yeah, Nat, thank you for this question. I, I think it's a really interesting sea change that's happening in the environment right now with the advent of AI and, and this announcement from IBM, because frankly, we all know that the old ways of working are out the window, and, and this started before AI even. I mean, as we saw through the pandemic with the advent of remote work, um, companies absolutely need to be rethinking their workplace and workforce strategies, and we are a part of that. The fact that IBM is rethinking their workplace and workforce strategy um, with AI is actually a huge opening for a company like Upwork, because in the past, when they weren't thinking big about how they need to redesign work and who and how work is getting done, including the technology and the tools to deliver that work, um, it was a lot harder for a company like us to get into that conversation and have a really strategic conversation about how they need to shift from full-time employees fractional work, the project-based work, and a different model, which is really what we deliver. In a world where they are now really rethinking things and shifting to AI and alternative models of working, and old staffing models and old full-time employee models are out the window, it is a lot easier for us to have the conversation that we should be having with the IBMs of the world about how we can help them with the flexibility, the cost savings, the on-demand model that we offer them. So I think the advent of com companies really shifting their entire thinking about how work is delivered and what tools are critical for that is an enormous opening for Upwork um, now and in the future. Great. Thank you. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Farrell of Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Mr. Farrell, your line is open. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, you, you made the move to cut the second half brand spending almost entirely due to the macro. Um, I guess where does brand spending fit into the picture longer term now that we've uh, accelerated the path to profitability? And what are you looking for in the market to potentially reinstitute the brand spend, um, maybe at the size and the scale that you have been over the last couple of quarters? Matt, our marketing team has done a phenomenal job increasing our awareness. You know, we saw 45% increase in unaided awareness amongst business decision makers 
overall since the start of the campaign that we um, released at the end of last year. And I think, you know, at this moment, we don't have enough visibility into exactly when we will see the brand awareness that we've been building translate into client conversion, um, particularly just because in this environment, companies are really in this mode of cutting budgets, um, kind of cut now, ask questions later about how they're going to deal with some of the things that they're trying to deliver on. So I, I think your question is a good one. I think for us, you know, we've got to drive some of our results around some of the more immediate term um, opportunities we see where we know we can invest and deliver strong returns from a growth perspective and then come back to this question about brand um, over time, knowing also that in the meantime we can execute on other um, more targeted ways that we can elevate our brand awareness with the right audiences as well as deliver on performance marketing and other um, channels that in this environment, you know, are, are doing really well for us. And, and maybe a second question. Um, you, you all announced the, the change in the fee structure to a more simplified dynamic. I guess as we think about the take marketplace take rate, um, you know, as we move through 2023 and 2024, how should we be thinking about the tailwinds or the uptick in marketplace take rate due to the fee structure change? Thank you. Sure. Uh, you know, I think the take rate expectations we have for this year are around you know, something kind of similar from an uh, expansion perspective to what we probably saw last year. Um, and I'd underscore that the pricing changes that we're making, um, you know, really are founded in marketplace health and ensuring that we're both capturing value when we're creating value and we're driving the right um, incentives on the platform around first and foremost unlocking client demand. Because at the end of the day, we are a demand-constrained business. And so that's really um, beneath you know, all of the changes we've made into pricing both last year and this year. Thank you. One moment, please. One moment. Our next question comes from the line of Brad Erickson of RBC Capital. Your line is open. Hey, thanks for taking the question. This is Logan on for Brad. Uh, maybe one for Erica, just as you've been in the business for about a month now, what are the kind of big initiatives and, and things you'll be working on in the next uh, six to 12 months? Thanks. Yeah, sure, Logan. Uh, nice to meet you. And um, just to correct you, I'm actually on day eight right now, so uh, a little less than a month, but I, I do feel like I've had an opportunity to dig in, although I'm, I'm really just scratching the surface here. Um, first and foremost, obviously, learning the business and the team. Um, I do want to dig into the growth strategies of the roadmap, of which I see many. Um, I just want to emphasize in my first eight days, um, you know, we're, 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 as I said in my prepared remarks, we're not immune from the kind of broader macroeconomic environments in this business, but, but that by no means in my mind diminishes opportunity ahead for this business. I think it's tremendous, um, and I'm going to be working together with the, the rest of the management team to really dig into those growth opportunities and make sure that we're, you know, right now we are um, absolutely, you know, making the right responsible moves in order to show that we can produce profitable growth. But this is both a top and bottom line growth company. I think we all have that conviction here as a management team, and I'm going to be working with everyone to uh, work on the roadmap to deliver that. Great, thanks. And then just one quick follow-up. Uh, in the past, you guys have said that 
Um, obviously, S&B was a little bit weak. I think last quarter you guys called them out specifically and, and also mentioned that they're a little bit quicker to react to changes in the macro environment. Uh, saw you return to growth on active clients. So is there any sort of signs you guys are seeing uh, in terms of the S&B inflecting uh, relative to what you're seeing in terms of the larger customer weakness? Thanks. You know, the SMBs, I think it shows the resiliency of the business even through this macro. Um, it's interesting because it has been the larger customers who seem to be a bit more impacted right now. And um, when we look at the delta between our expectations last quarter versus this quarter, you're right that um, basically the, the difference we've seen is not on the volume side in terms of client activity or even contracts or job posts, things like that on the site. Um, the only place where we've been um, somewhat surprised has been just the spend per contract um, or the GSV um, per client, which you can, you can see in some of our published numbers. And I think that's just attributable to um, some of the factors and the pressures we see in the macro and um, also the fact that our talent marketplace has become so at scale that there's a lot of um, wage pressure um, for, um, for, for talent. And so it's a very competitive, attractive marketplace for clients, and clients are finding that great value which is driving that SMB activity because people are seeing that they're getting great quality uh, talent and great work done in this ecosystem. So those SMBs, as we said, have that fast twitch. Um, they responded quicker last year, and now you know, we're seeing some strength there in terms of um, volume and activity, which is great. Great. Thanks. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Bernie McTernan of Needham. Your line is open. Great. Uh, thank you for taking the questions. Um, <clears throat> Hayden, I guess demand, you know, looking for people who can do AI jobs is, I think, a bit counterintuitive. I think part of the allure of AI is not having to hire as many people. So can you maybe just describe what you're seeing um, from the demand perspective? Sure. I think some of the growth we're seeing is definitely in, um, you know, categories like data science and analytics, which you can imagine why that would be applicable in this environment. You know, in that area, we saw job postings growing 33% year over year and 22% sequentially, you know, as one example. Um, we've also been adding new skills and categories to the platform, which got us to, you know, over 125 job categories, including some areas that are very relevant to the work that people are undertaking to um, implement train um, and do other AI-based modeling um, work. So I think that's a piece of it. Uh, and then I think the other thing I would mention in this area is, you know, as we draft off the tailwind of new jobs work sites in this, this area, we also have additional categories um, like writing, which you might think, to your point, is going to be <laughs> more at risk. It's a very small category for us today. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty tiny. But even in that category, we actually saw sequential growth quarter over quarter. So I would just underscore, you know, we're not seeing any negative impacts from AI today. And as we look across the work that's happening in the platform, some of the more interesting things we see is in pretty much every category we serve, um, talent are using AI tools to augment um, their workloads. And I think this is where they're now delivering, you know, better value um, and better, you know, solutions for their clients. And so I think, you know, to the extent that that's happening, we can also help that happen because we can give them insights into what tools to be using, give them access to tools and things like that. 
that's improving their outcomes, improving satisfaction for um, the clients that are you know, buying work from them, um, potentially driving down prices, but also just getting, getting the clients to come back to the platform again and again. So with all of that happening, I think that's a plus. And then the final thing I'd add on this is, you know, 85% of our GSB today actually comes from longer, complex um, projects and jobs on the platform. So again, I think the, the thing we see here is AI augmenting the work over time more so than displacing the work altogether. So we're very excited about what this can unlock for our customers. I think, you know, directly with talent using the tools as well as us, um, embedding a lot of the AI functionality directly into the site, you know, we're executing on all fronts to really take advantage of this exciting opportunity. Understood. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Marvin Fong of BTIG. Your line is open. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, I guess, uh, you know, just to build on some previous questions. So, so question on the take rate change or the commission fee change, you know, that I think is starting today. You know, so I guess by definition, you know, the, the 5% tier are your most valuable relationships, uh, since that's a $10,000 cutoff. So they'll be seeing a fee increase. And I guess, um, I guess just maybe, you know, drill down a bit deeper into your thought process about, um, you know, the, the trade off of, um, you know, a simpler, you know, higher fee structure and, and the potential uh, that some of your most valuable um, projects, um, you know, might be, uh, might see some pressure from your, from this, this change in the, in the fee structure. Marvin, the um, change for the folks that are already at a 5% tier um, with their existing projects actually doesn't go into effect until the end of this year. So for those relationships and contracts, um, you know, there's a really good grace period before any of that impact happens. And, and frankly, a lot of those relationships or, or contracts may have already rolled off or reached, you know, a, a natural endpoint before that time anyway. So I think that helps um, de-risk um, part of what you're asking about. Um, I think on the other side, you know, we've seen a lot of um, – have a lot of data over the many years that we've kind of monitored and examined our pricing in this platform. And we approached this change with extreme care and thoughtfulness based on the data we have going back to 2016 when we had our previous pricing, which was a flat 10% fee. And based on looking at all that data and um, the experimentation and testing we've done to really understand the dynamics around pricing and how it drives incentives and behaviors, um, we did conclude that um, the new flat fee structure is both simpler, which has a huge benefit for customers, um, and also um, has really positive impact in terms of reducing pricing for the vast majority of um, talent and relationships that actually will unlock and stimulate further client demand, which is the number one thing that um, freelancers care about other than making sure that they get paid. Like those are the two things that people want, more jobs and making sure that they get paid for the work they're doing. So with all of that taken together and understanding um, the puts and takes at a very deep level based on all the data we have from many years uh, looking at this, um, we are very confident that um, the one-time risk around switching that fee structure, both the 20 to 10 at the front end of relationships and the 5 to 10 for relationships that get to that $10,000 earning level, um, it's definitely a positive change for the marketplace for the long term. Great. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And then... You know, just to build on all the questions about AI, and I, and I, I imagine that this will be difficult for you to, to pinpoint, but, you know, you've already, you're, you're, you're 
your, you know, giving us full your guidance, would you say that AI, you know, factored at all, you know, as a standalone um, phenomenon in, in your in your in your annual revenue guidance? And if so, you know, is it a, a positive, negative, or, or neutral? AI did not factor into our uh, FOIA guidance at all because uh, we're not seeing any impacts of that from in, on the business. I think, um, you know, the, the benefits for sure outweigh the opportunity, uh, sorry, outweigh the negatives here. And so I think as we're executing through this, we're excited to take advantage of um, the tailwinds and the things that we're executing um, in the future. But we didn't factor anything specific into the guidance around that. Okay. Uh, appreciate the color. Thank you. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Andrew Boone of JMP Securities. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for taking my questions. Um, you talked in the letter about narrowing the focus for R&D. Can you flesh that out a little bit and, and help us understand what on the product roadmap is being emphasized versus maybe being put on the back burner? And then on the enterprise sales force, it sounds like there's significant changes going on there. Can you help us understand, as we get to the other side of that transformation, what changes about enterprise and, and kind of what's your, your longer-term vision there? Thanks so much. Sure. So on the R&D side, you know, we're taking this opportunity to um, really hone in on um, – we have a really robust product portfolio and cover um, a fantastic breadth of use cases for our customers across the work marketplace. We've built that out substantially over the last three-plus years. And now we're really just going deeper in terms of driving product quality and adoption for the products that we're serving customers with rather than going broader and adding new products to the lineup. So that's really the opportunity for us. And as we go through that exercise over the next month and quarters and con continue to go deeper and really um, uh, continue to drive you know, performance in those products, I think we will continue to evaluate, are there places where we can um, sunset features, functionality, um, aspects of the product portfolio to, again, continue to um, make sure that our resources are focused on delivering where we have the best results. So that's part one of what we're uh, capturing on the R&D side. And obviously part two is with all of the exciting work happening on, on AI, which you talked about, about on the call, you know, that's a big opportunity as well. And um, in key places, we are um, moving resources from, you know, less exciting areas of our product roadmap and portfolio into to those opportunities. On the enterprise side, um, you know, this is, again, this is a huge long-term opportunity for us. The sales team is really just shifting uh, focus into the most um, high-value and highest-performing areas of our portfolio. And we have amazing data about what that is, so it's, it's pretty easy and evident for us to take our, our leaner team that we have today and um, redirect them to those highest performing opportunities. And so I think the long-term vision here is absolutely unchanged. We know we can serve um, larger customers, whether it's, you know, the Fortune 100, the Microsoft of the world, and others, as we have always done with a really compelling best-in-class offering um, and continue to graduate customers who come into our self-service marketplace um, and start to scale up into our enterprise offering over time. So, you know, broadly speaking, it's not about changing the strategy or the vision. It is more about tuning some of our focus areas and the efforts of the sales team to go after the places that in this macro environment are um, most evident. So 
So nothing is diminished about the opportunity. Um, the strategy is broadly unchanged, but we are tuning the approach to be really tailored for this market. Thank you. Thank you. One moment, please. Our next question comes from the line of Ron Josie of City. Your line is open. Hi, this is Jake on for Ron. Um, I just wanted to touch on the full-time opportunity. But now that we're quarter quarter in, could you kind of give us an update on adoption, reception of that offering and whether the headwinds on macro change anything in terms of pushing uh, this offering to clients? Thanks. Absolutely. The, you know, the full-time offering continues to be something that's, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a key part of our product lineup that we just launched um, a quarter ago. So uh, in terms of adoption reception, very positive. We see strong signals in um, the current marketplace that customers on both the client side and the talent side are very interested in things like contract to hire, which was a piece of that offering, um, as well as uh, intrigues that they can now use Upwork to do things like payrolling solutions from the talent marketplace, which historically was something only available to our enterprise customers. Uh, but I'd also note that it is only a quarter in, and so we always knew that this type of new offering would be something that would take time to socialize, to ramp, um, to tune, you know, given that this is not something that most of our customers have historically expected to do with us. And so um, I wouldn't say that there's anything notable about macro headwinds. It's more about, you know, socializing and introducing this type of a new offering to a customer base that has been historically accustomed to getting, you know, other types of things from us. So we're very excited to continue pursuing that. Thank you. One moment, please. And the last question comes from the line of Ronit. Kalamani of Roth, your line is open. Uh, hey, thanks uh, for taking my questions. Um, um, on the revenue outlook for the rest of the year, um, maybe maybe talk about like the level of visibility or the confidence that you have today versus where you were at the beginning of the year. Um, you talk about these three phases and the first phase being cost cutting and uh, freezing hiring budgets uh, in your uh, customers. And you're still in that phase. So uh, given that uh, probably there is a little bit more time for the second phase to kick in. Uh, maybe just talk about uh, how confident do you feel about uh, the remaining eight to nine months of the year as well as uh, just the visibility that you have versus where you were uh, at the beginning of the year. Well, we're a quarter closer to the end of the year, Rohit, so I guess we have a little more visibility than we did, uh, you know, three months ago. Um, and I'd say, you know, what's changed is, um, we definitely have a perspective now that more of our larger customers and targets are, you know, sit, sitting still in that first phase that we talked about rather than having moved to the second or third phase. So that is um, more information that we didn't have previously. Um, in terms of where we see the rest of the year shaking out, uh, you know, I think what we removed from our guidance outlook was uh, previous expectations that we had about our norm normal seasonality that we would have in the business in a non-macro impacted year where the back half of the year would be seasonally stronger due to kind of the ordinary things we see on our platform. Um, so with our revised outlook, based on seeing more of these customers in that phase one um, impacted by the macro environment, we now uh, do not expect to see that um, normal seasonal behavior in the second half of the year. 
Um, we do expect to see a step up in the second half of the year versus the trial quarter in Q2 because of the dynamics around um, the rollout of our pricing changes and um, the lapping effect relative to last year, you know, in um, what we'll see in Q3 and Q4. But I think that is, you know, a shift in perspective versus what we had last year. I'll also note we didn't bake in a specific macro perspective about things getting worse or things getting better, but we did remove from our outlook um, the normal seasonality improvement that we would see absent what we're, what we're now seeing in the macro. Okay, uh, that, that's helpful, Hiram. And then uh, a question on AI. Um, I guess there is this growing debate that uh, uh, structurally AI is going to drive more efficiency and the first leg of efficiency would come into most of the tech companies that would be early adopters of those um, AI tools internally and just to drive better discipline. So maybe maybe talk about your thoughts on that. Do you feel structurally speaking um, a year or two years from now Upwork could be a much more profitable company if you are um, adopting AI internally? Um, is there, is there, or just broadly, uh, not specifically to Upwork, uh, where, where do you think about applying AI for internal productivity gains, not just uh, for your customers? This is a huge opportunity, you know, for us and every tech company, and certainly we've been, um, you know, testing these um, new tools as well, because I think the productivity gains are very real. And so, you know, I, I can't tell you um, how that will translate exactly into um, profitability outlook, you know, one or two years out, but I think it's the responsibility of, you know, me and every CEO who has um, engineers in their business to be really pushing on how we can use these tools to improve efficiency and also to improve developer satisfaction. I mean, I can tell you that as our engineers um, try out these tools, at least ex extremely exciting conversations, and frankly, unlock their skills and expertise to be doing other things that they're, you know, really excited about kind of layering on um, in their work. So uh, I think there's going to be big questions about as our teams get more productive, you know, what then do you do with the um, resources that you're freeing up? And so I think, you know, those are questions that all of us will navigate as we move forward. But again, AI is a huge opportunity, and we're really excited to be taking advantage of it. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude the call. I could turn the call back over to Evan Barbosa for any closing remarks. Thank you. On behalf of the entire Upwork team, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for your interest in Upwork. If you need any clarifications or have any follow-up questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me at investor at upwork.com. This concludes our call. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference. Thank you all for participating. You may now disconnect. Have a great day.